0: Hello and welcome to A City Reading, Cork City Library's talking newsletter of library news and features. Our readers today are myself, Glenn, Claire and James and in this episode we feature a look at what's happening in your local library during lockdown, Frederick Douglass and the Cork anti-slavery movement by Maura Walsh, a profile of growing imaginations, a review of Death in Her Hands by Otessa Moshfeg by Dr. Sirka Fogarty.
1: libraries from home. At the time of recording, we have entered another lockdown and our library doors have closed temporarily. However, we have shifted our focus to providing online services. Cox City libraries provide ebooks, e magazines, e newspapers, music and online courses, all free which are library card. You can join online via our website and borrow immediately. Visit our Facebook page to see recommendations of ebooks and e audiobooks that are checked in and available to borrow without a queue. Our Children's Book Festival has moved online with videos and workshops from your favourite authors and creators available from our website. We are also pleased to bring you access to the cork international film festival online library cork international film festival online library is a video on demand platform which features over 50 short films selected from previous festival programs including 2017 2018 and 2019 the cork international film festival has made their online library available to members of Cork City Libraries free of charge. You can visit the Cork International Film Festival online library at watch.corkfilmfest.org forward slash library. And you can request a viewing code by emailing lending underscore library at CorkCity.ie. To celebrate Irish Book Week, Cork City Libraries, in association with Waterstones Cork, has created a series of readings by contributors to the book Cork Words, an anthology of contemporary Cork writing. Watch videos of writers such as Deborah Onaya, William Wall, Elaine Desmond, Billy O'Callaghan and more in a YouTube playlist linked from our website cockcitylibraries.ie Cock Words was published by Cock City Libraries in 2020 in association with Creative Ireland. Library staff are happy to help you get access to any of our e-services. Please ring your local library to speak to a librarian.
0: Frederick Douglass and the Cork Anti-Slavery Movement An extract from Maura Walters' Quakers of Cork Cork has a very long history in the struggle against the slave trade and later the colonial and American-based slave market. As early as 1788, Cooper Penrose, a prominent Cork Quaker merchant, suggested that an anti-slavery petition be forwarded to Prime Minister William Pitt by the Cork Committee of Merchants. Boycotting of the products of slave labour also became a feature of Cork Quaker life. While the slave trade was abolished in 1807, slavery continued to exist, not only in America, but in the British colonies. In 1821, each Irish Quaker local meeting was requested to consider raising funds for anti-slavery activity. The Cork Anti-Slavery Society, in conjunction with the London Anti-Slavery Society, was founded by Joshua Beale in 1826 at the Assembly Rooms on Georgia Street. Several friends were to take administrative and promotional roles in the Anti-Slavery Society, They planned to distribute pamphlets and authentic information as to the baneful effects, inhumanity, and impolicy of slavery. Cork Constitution. Among the first eighteen twenty six Cork Anti Slavery Society meeting group were many Cork women, who were similarly passionate about the anti slavery movement, and in turn founded their own organization in eighteen forty one, the Cork Ladies Anti Slavery Society. One of the primary functions of the Cork Ladies Anti Slavery Society was to craft and send homemade pieces to American anti-slavery bazaars. This was prompted by the visit from Charles Lennox Remond in 1841. Following a visit from Frederick Douglass in 1845, the Cork Ladies Anti-Slavery Society published an advertisement once again, looking for contributions to send to anti-slavery markets. Frederick Douglass was born into slavery in 1818 in Maryland, America. On the advice of two Irishmen, He escaped to the North in 1838 and lectured regularly on slavery abolition. America was still incredibly hostile, and after publishing his autobiography, Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass in 1845, he left for Europe in the hope of returning home refreshed. Early into his stay in Ireland, Douglass wrote a letter home, stating, I can truly say I have spent some of the happiest moments of my life since landing in this country. I seem to have undergone a transformation. I live a new life. Douglas would end up spending six months in total in Ireland. During that time he attended a reform rally by the liberator Daniel O'Connell. O'Connell was staunchly anti-slavery, even refusing money from the United States for his repeal campaign, insisting that no money would be accepted from anybody who supported slavery. O'Connell introduced Douglas as the Black O'Connell of the United States. In Dublin, Douglas stayed with Richard and Hannah Webb and their four children on Pierce Street. The Quaker family were known for championing humanitarian causes. Richard offered to print and sell copies of his biography to give Douglas an income while in exile, while Hannah organised his tour to Wexford, Waterford and Cork. On October 23rd, Douglas spoke at the Imperial Hotel, where women had decorated the room with placards reading, Cade Me La one of which he took home to his wife Anna Murray. Douglas's rousing speeches denouncing slavery was met with warmth and fervour, In his farewell speech at the Imperial Hotel, he said he was indebted to the press for their freedom in copying the few feeble words I have been able to say in the city, that they might return to my land and sound terribly in the ears of the oppressors of my countrymen. Upon learning that his master intended to re-enslave him as soon as he returned to America, Quaker abolitionists in England, led by Anna Richardson, purchased Frederick's freedom for 150 pounds. Anna Richardson was the sister of Ann Jennings, Douglas's hostess when he stayed in Cork. You can see the plaques acknowledging Frederick Douglass's visit to Cork at the Imperial Hotel, South Mall. It reads, Frederick Douglas, the Maryland-born, former slave and campaigner for human rights, was honoured here in 1845 by the Cork Anti-Slavery Societies and the people of Cork.
2: A Profile of the Growing Imaginations programme at Cork City Libraries In January 2012, Senior Executive Librarian Brita Hassett piloted the Growing Imaginations project, in conjunction with Cope Foundation. The overall aim of the project is to encourage adults free support to avail of the library, and to encourage their creativity through group meetings, which facilitate story writing and self-expression, in a safe and welcoming environment. Fundamentally, the project embodies the ethos of the National Disability Inclusion Strategy, which is a coordinated and planned approach across government departments to promote greater inclusion of people with disabilities in Irish society. The Growing Imaginations project was shortlisted for the Chambers Ireland Excellence in Local Government Award 2016, the Staff Recognition Awards Cork City Council, and it also won the Library Association Public Libraries Prize in 2016. The project began in Bishopstown Library, and is now being rolled out to all Cork City libraries, with Cashel Library and Tipperary also replicating the project, with the support of the Tipperary Creative Ireland programme. Sensory Books in a Bag is a core part of the programme and involves the creation of sensory tactile books that can be used by adults we support to interpret stories and concepts. The sensory components of the books are all stored in specifically designed bags. Stories inspired by the adults themselves with help from their care workers and Cork writer Kevin Doyle. The components for the books are made by groups of adults we support with the help of artist Sarah O'Hara, with Anne Kylie presently taking up the position from 2020, and Carmel Creener from the Cork Textiles Network. The bags themselves are beautifully designed and each item contained therein corresponds directly to a specific page of the laminated and colourfully illustrated books, with a variety of titles such as A Trip to Dublin, On the Gravy Train and The Hot Air Balloon. The stories showcase the talent and imagination of the groups, and many of the stories are largely based on the personal experiences of the group members. Of the writing workshop, Kevin Doyle states, Our workshops are some of the most spirited I have participated in. It was a treat to observe how storytelling itself is so loved. Indeed, the work created by the groups is remarkable and is a testament to the creativity and imagination of each and every member. Essentially, the Growing Imaginations programme promotes a sense of belonging and functions as a conduit for the talent which lies often unearthed in many of those adults we support who live very challenging lives. The books introduce the concept of sensory reading to all participants. The sensory bags are available to borrow from Bishopstown Library, the City Library Grand Parade and Holly Hill Library. For further information on the Growing Imaginations project, contact Elizabeth McNamara in Hollyhill Library at Elizabeth underscore McNamara at CorkCity.ie. A review of Death in Her Hands by Otessa Moshfagg by Dr. Sirka Fogarty. Although the hotly anticipated Death in Her Hands is the fourth published novel by Otessa Moshfagg, Its writing predates her two most successful books, 2018's My Year of Rest and Relaxation, in which a disaffected young woman attempts, with the aid of prescription medicine, to sleep for a year, and her 2016 breakthrough Eileen, a thriller recounted by an anxious and alcoholic protagonist. It makes sense to read Death in Her Hands in this context. The novel has a lot in common with both books and is experimenting with many of the same formal challenges that make Moshfeg such an interesting and exciting writer. With her third novel, Mashveg has crafted another macabre, isolated female protagonist, and again uses genre, this time a murder mystery, to set a character study into motion. Essentially, the novel is the author's last treatise on malignant isolation, a rambling, close-up psychodrama that explores the mysteries of an unreliable mind. Vesta Gull is an elderly woman who lives with her dog Charlie in a cabin on a lake in a small snowy town far away from her old life with her recently deceased husband. Her existence is solitary by choice, but also decidedly lonely. It had been so long since I'd socialised at all. The winter had been long, and I had no friends. Nobody to meet for lunch, to go to the cinema, even to chat to on the phone. I didn't even have a phone. One morning she discovers a handwritten note in the birch woods, the text of which supplies the book's opening. Her name was Magda. Nobody will ever know who killed her. It wasn't me. Here is her dead body. She finds no dead body. Vesta, whose name is derived from the ancient Greek Hestia, to dwell, indeed dwells upon the problem. She becomes convinced that the murder is real, despite the absence of a body, and begins to investigate haphazardly. It's impossible to ignore reading Death in Her Hands how much detective work resembles writing a story. In fact, Vesta lingers over it, looking up top tips for mystery writers to aid her investigation and deeming the task a creative endeavour, not some calculated procedure. Death in Her Hands has been described as a novel which shows another way of dealing with loneliness and unnameable grief, desperately clamping onto a familiar story form in order to organise one's pain, fear and the voices in one's head. In a New York Times interview, Mashveg called Death in Her Hands a loneliness story. Widowed and friendless in her twilight years, Vesta lives in an isolated cabin in an area she just moved to with only her big, lumbering, loyal dog for company. Each time Vesta returns to an idea, her theories become firmer in her mind, and more extreme. It makes for a dynamic relationship with the reader, that of listening to a wide-eyed storyteller who embellishes every chance she gets, her language growing more and more graphic, seemingly outside of her control. There were probably worms and maggots crawling up to her lips and into her mouth. How could she talk at all with a mouthful of stuff like that? Vesta wonders of the missing victim. The narrator has no internet, no phone, no friends, and is disdainful of the area's residents, who she sees as uncultured, impoverished, unhealthy, even when Vesta relates the admittedly mundane details of her solitary life, talking to her dog, eating stale bagels, reading books she doesn't particularly like, her voice is enlivened. She self aggrandizes while insisting she's just a little old lady. She despises the locals. Her daily schedule revolves around walks with Charlie and a weekly grocery trip for rubbery bagels and rotisserie chicken. It would be mind-numbing, the loneliness, the boredom, were it not for the urgent task that falls into her lap, solving a murder. But amid the Agatha Christie-style mystery is a metaphysical examination of Vesta's own life, including deeply-seated regret and resentment towards her late husband. In a way, Vesta's plight mirrors the anxieties and frustrations of life under stay-at-home orders, Many of us have wallowed in our own versions of isolation in recent months, wherein time has become blurred and loneliness has festered. At one point, Vesta makes a remark that could have been lifted from a COVID-19 quarantine diary. Each day was like the day before, apart from the dwindling number of bagels and the varying weather. Bearing in mind the widely known connection between loneliness and psychiatric disorders, Vesta's solitude makes her susceptibility to obsessive thinking all the more believable. As Vesta gets lost in her own imagination, she reveals more about her identity, which she is only now beginning to understand. The heartbreaks of her upbringing, the controlling nature of her late husband, and the expectations of life that have been unmet in her older age. What was so remarkable about Moshfeg's 2018 novel, My Year of Rest and Relaxation, was how entertaining it was, despite its protagonist spending so much time sleeping, the novel relying, to a great extent, on the habitual. Just as with rest and relaxation and Eileen, Mashveg has created another reclusive woman in death in her hands. And these are all women who are all trying to fix what ails them. Clinging on to some sort of twisted hope, they can overcome their problems through actions that are usually counterintuitive. Hope, in the words of Seamus Heaney, glossing Vaclav Havel, is a state of the soul rather than a response to the evidence. It is not the expectation that things will turn out successfully, but the conviction that something is worth working for, however it turns out. Its deepest roots are in the transcendental, beyond the horizon. If hope is a moral imperative, telling stories may be one way of obeying it. Mashfed clues us in relatively early that this novel may neither be a mystery nor a murder at all. Perhaps the real mystery being unraveled in death in our hands is that we must decide whether the stories we tell ourselves guide us closer to the truth or keep us further from it.
0: That's all for now. For information, opening hours, or contact details about Cork City Libraries, visit our website at www.corkcitylibraries.ie or follow us on social media channels. Music is by Chris Toomey from his album Midnight on the Water. Thanks for listening. Sloan.